During the COVID-19 pandemic, the number of people who say they are suffering from anxiety is at an all-time high. The uncertainty of the future is impacting the present with unprecedented pressure. Anxiety is the gateway to mental illness, unhealthy coping mechanisms. The Anxiety and Depression Association of America reveals that anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in America, but these numbers continue to rise, steadily affecting a larger and younger section of Americans. It could lead to you not leaving your house. It, it could affect, you know, your relationships. From the pandemic to climate change to political instability, everyone is stressed over what the future will bring. It's very rare that a person has just depression. Usually anxiety kind of comes first. Over the next half hour, we'll consider the anxieties affecting us, including the why and the how. We'll speak to those who are suffering and to those who might offer help. I'm Kevin Ashley. And I'm Peyton Zignego. From WCRX Columbia College, Chicago, this is Anxious America, living in an uncertain world. This is Anxious America, living in an uncertain world. I'm Peyton Zignego. And I'm Kevin Ashley from WCRX Columbia College, Chicago. According to 2020 Census Bureau data, one-third of Americans are showing signs of clinical anxiety or depression. In fact, Generation Z has been referred to as the most depressed generation. In 2021, the American Psychological Association reported that 45% of Gen Z says that their mental health is in good condition, which is less than all other generation groups. Millennials reported 56, Gen Xers reported 51, and Boomers reported 70%. Despite anxiety disorders being the most common mental illness, affecting 40 million Americans, according to Medical News Today, just over a third of people with a diagnosis seek treatment. With anxiety on the rise and more and more people being diagnosed, Scott Schroka talked to a psychologist who focused on anxiety and trauma and a person diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. Dr. Annie Therapy Group of Woodstock, Illinois, has been helping people deal with anxiety, trauma, PTSD, and ADHD, among other mental health issues, since 2016. Dr. Annie Stokesbury, along with other therapists at the practice, use a combination of traditional and more unique approaches to help their patients, especially when it comes to the younger ones. But how many of these patients are dealing with anxiety itself? I would say that really, honestly, probably close to 90% have significant anxiety. Some might not even know what that feeling is when they begin to experience it for the first time in their younger years. I found out what it was because I asked my mother. I was like, hey, mom, you know, like when you have a big test at school tomorrow and you're worried about it, what is that feeling called? And she was like, you mean anxiety? I was like, yes. Everyone has a different explanation of how they define this issue. Like Joseph Murray, a 33-year-old student at Columbia College, Chicago. I mean, for me, anxiety is being trapped in your head and being disconnected with the rest of the world because you're trapped. And every day I wake up, I'm always anxious. I'm anxious about being anxious. You know, it's just like, oh, God. I think that there has been an incline or what might look like an incline. However, as society matures and gains more knowledge and so forth, we know more about what to look for, right? So there's a natural incline just in that. Though it might be clear to the trained professionals treating these people, what about the patients themselves? It's really hard to put into words what is going on in your head exactly. Why? You know, that's the thing with mental illness. You're suffering, but nobody can see it. There is no cause and effect here. There's nothing that direct. There are so many variables and you have to consider culture. You have to consider socioeconomic status. You have to consider race, heritage, education, age, right? I mean, everything, everything is a variable. As if all that wasn't enough. 
Then came COVID-19. The more anxious I got about the pandemic and about getting sick, you know, the more I needed to cope. First of all, we have to talk about one thing with the COVID pandemic. It created a situation where everyone was isolated. And we don't have a whole lot of data on what that does to the average human being. There would seem no end in sight with COVID. You know, I was so afraid of getting sick. I'm a smoker. I live in an apartment above my parents' apartment, so I saw them often. And at the time, they were both overweight and, you know, they're pushing 60. I was afraid of getting them sick. My sister comes by often. She has asthma, so I didn't want to get her sick. I was terrified. A lot of people are very consumed with fear, paranoia, and it's very easy to become irrational and more rigid. So how does someone deal with all this? Having the skills and the desire and the motivation to reflect, figure out, and experiment with different aspects of your life, your lifestyle, your habits, your tendencies, or the way you approach relationships or communication, fill in the blank, whatever it is you're doing. Anxiety is the gateway to mental illness, unhealthy coping mechanisms, an unhealthy lifestyle. I mean, it could affect, you know, your relationships or lack thereof. It could lead to you not leaving your house. Saying, okay, does this work for me? And knowing how your habits or what you are doing in your life, how it serves you or it doesn't. And if it doesn't serve you, let's figure something else out. Does it serve me to be in the house all day, every day for days on end? Maybe not. Okay, I don't really want to get out there, but I'm going to go out there anyway and I'm going to see what happens. My anxiety does result in me doing good work but it's torturous, you know, it's not easy. Now I could sit here and I could say, okay, diet and exercise and sleep and have a routine and blah, 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 blah. But that's what every behavioral psychologist is gonna say. That's 101. We should all know that by now. <sighs> Anxiety, it's so broad. And like I said, I don't think people even realize that they have it or what they're doing or that they're even coping. And with the pandemic, oh my God. We can't control COVID. We can't do jack about that, right? So why the hell are we all glued to the TV? Yes, we need the information. So it's that balance, right? Sometimes the pendulum kind of goes too far. We're like, whoa, okay, forget it. I can't do that much. We come back, right? But I think that we've been trained and we've been taught. It's like been programmed into us not to do that. Like we should just know. And we should just have these innate abilities. And don't think about that. You're too sensitive. I'm still dealing with my anxiety. And of course, the vaccines have helped. These variants ramp up my anxiety like crazy. And of course, just life in general makes me anxious. I think every generation or every decade has its own set of things, you know, traits or the social evolution or gender roles or the political, I mean, was there a war going, you know, all of these things, even to some degree, lifestyle and belief systems and value systems and that kind of thing that kind of shift from decade to decade. But I was like, okay, I know what's wrong with me. So I got medicine for it. And it takes a while to find the right medicine. And that's when things started to turn around because my anxiety started to subside. While proper medication does work for some people like Joe, I wondered how bad self-medication had got and if drug addiction had gone up during the pandemic. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know the statistics specifically, but I know that, that overdoses since COVID have gone up. It was 20% and I think it was approaching 30%. The last time I looked at the statistic, I'm close, but 20 to 30%, that's a lot. But I guess it's not always drugs and alcohol that end up causing us problems and eventually more anxiety. What about social media? Could that be one of the issues? Yes, absolutely. Because dissociation and living virtually. Social media is escape. It's virtual. 
It's not real. You know, even if you're chatting with somebody, there's time lapses. People can think about their stuff. Same thing. Escape. Because the first thing is out of your body, and then it's out of your brain. A virtual life. It's out of your brain. Drugs. Out of your brain. Sex, gambling, driving fast, whatever. Out of your brain. I've been dealing with anxiety for a long time, and I've adopted a lot of coping mechanisms. Now, as far as a positive coping mechanism, I don't know. I don't think I have one. I think it's about thinking about what you're doing. How risky is it? What's going to happen after this? And then what? And then what? Am I going to get closer to what I want or am I going to get further away? Mm, ooh. And then to the same degree, how did I get here? Oh, because that, oh, and that happened. For, oh, oh, yeah. And then that thing happened. Yeah. Okay. So it's this ability to sequence. I think this is about intention. This is about not thinking about what we're doing and how we're living our life and not being focused or thoughtful about what we're trying to achieve or where we're trying to end up. I'm still a very anxious person, but I i mean, I'm anxious about real world stuff. You know, I'm anxious about school. I'm anxious about work. I'm anxious about money, dating, it's, you know, stuff like that. I'm not having like the same kind of intrusive thoughts. I guess it's really just about doing the best we can with what we've got. Everyone goes through anxious periods in their life, but by choosing positive coping mechanisms opposed to negative ones, it becomes a lot easier to weather the storm. That section was produced by Scott Sroka. Charles Devereaux is a 45-year-old unemployed man living in Evergreen Park. He has been dealing with anxiety for most of his adult life. I chew my fingernails down to the nub. I have anxiety attacks probably a good two to three times a month. Can't sleep properly. Yeah, I'd say I'm an anxious person. Zachary Shinger is a college student from St. Louis who started to feel increasingly anxious during the pandemic. I kind of knew it was there. I didn't really have a word for it, but I started noticing it like after a very bad sort of episode of anxiety. The anxiety they felt through the pandemic was rooted in the fear of getting the people they are close to sick. I have a little sister who is um, who has immune system problems. The idea of her getting COVID from me or my mom just freaked me out. My biggest concern was for my roommate, Nancy. She's 72 years old. Um, she's not necessarily an unhealthy person, but since she is a little older, I didn't want to be a burden for her. So I made sure to keep myself out of harm's way as much as possible. They have tried different methods to alleviate their anxiety, even though they were not the healthiest options. I definitely drank a little bit whenever I was feeling anxious. Sometimes I would have a drink. I didn't really eat as much though. Whenever I'm anxious, my appetite is zero and I'm nauseous. Zach started college last fall and is feeling better. Charles still struggles with anxiety and has not yet adopted a healthy coping mechanism. I don't have to be here mentally to be able to enjoy a video game. So it's an escape mechanism. Um, helps me deal with the fact that I really don't like where I'm at right now. There's definitely things I can be doing physically for myself that I'm not doing. There's things I can be doing mentally. I could be going back to school, but I choose not to do any of it because it takes real effort. This section was produced by Joseph Murray. A group of school kids from California is making everyone a little happier with their new hotline filled with feel-good mantras and advice. Hi, welcome to Pep Talk, a public art project by Westside School. Please listen to the following options for encouraging messages. 
When you call, you'll get a few options to choose from. If you're feeling mad, frustrated, or nervous, press 1. If you need words of encouragement and life advice, press 2. The hotline is called Pep Talk, and the number is 707-998-8410. If you need to hear kids laughing with delight, press 4. More on this story, the kids, and Pep Talk later in the documentary. Coming up on Anxious America, art, music, yoga, and their intersection with anxiety. I'm Peyton Zignego. And I'm Kevin Ashley from WCRX Columbia College, Chicago. When it comes to aiding people with anxiety, there are many forms of treatment. From the traditional face-to-face conversational therapy to new treatments like art therapy. Jackie Diaz talked to an art therapist, Caroline Tai, about her work and about how art therapy has helped children process and create through their anxieties. Walking into Dandelion, the first thing that you see are the paper snowflakes hanging from the ceiling. The walls are filled with children's drawings, some have inspirational quotes with glitter, while others are a bit more sinister looking. Caroline Tai, art therapist, owner of Dandelion, gave us a tour of the studio. And then here's the closet, one closet. Oh my god. And like there's even more, like those are buckets that I have filled with art and this is just art and it just overflows. Oh my god, it's like so many things. It's like <laughs> little clay cars, maybe? Yes. Little clay cars? Yeah. And yeah. sugar school? <laughs> maybe? Yes, you're right. <laughs> maybe? <laughs> just to do some little miniature things that people build. destruction gotta get the anger out somehow (laughs) (laughs) right that's better to get it out in the art than any other way Uh, caroline says the severity of mental health issues are rising in children and a lot of children are depressed and anxious and um from the pandemic it's definitely escalated all of that sort of anxiety um, because we don't we have so many unknowns and when we have something that's known we feel way more comfortable Um, but things have been such up in the air um, that our anxieties and our worries have really escalated and I would say as you talk about like you know adults and their anxiety and their depression and everything. Our kids are feeling that same way. We're all human. It doesn't matter what age we are. We're actually all human and wired the same. And so we're all having these anxious feelings. Um, And then their parents' anxieties and worries of the unknowns are also filtrating into the the kids and their worries. And so um, I'm really seeing this sort of bridge between doing some like parent work to help with the adults and their anxious anxieties to help the kids not feel so anxious. And this is how art fits into the solution. Oftentimes parents are like, oh, we searched out art therapy because our kid really loves to draw. And it's because that's their form of communication. So when you go back to asking that question of like, what is art therapy? Like, it's just, it's the healing modality and then using a different form to communicate. We're all, we're all very visual people and we all communicate differently. So bringing the art part into it, it's like showing another way to learn how to communicate. Caroline also explained how Dandelion responded to virtual sessions due to the pandemic. With my younger clients, I played a whole bunch of Roblox and Minecraft there, but we'd also meet in these virtual worlds where we could explore what it was like um, to build things and create things in like a Minecraft world together. Dandelion continues to provide services to their clients with their weekly sessions. This section was produced by Jackie Diaz. 
Music affects our mood. Whenever you hear a song, it transports you to where you first heard it, nostalgia. There are certain frequencies that could influence our emotions, whether it's happiness, joy, or grief. Khalid B is an instructor at Columbia College Chicago. When he's not teaching, Khalid is a DJ, makes music, and has tracks featured on NBA 2K. He goes deeper into art therapy. Having a licensed therapist that understands the, the power of art and the frequencies that it can have on your mind and your body and things like that could be uh, definitely useful, you know, for those who are just kind of, who are seeking therapy through art. It's important to explore the different ways students use art to be therapeutic. What works for one person may be a different experience for someone else. Sometimes therapy for me is watching a YouTube video on, you know, how to relieve stress. You know, yeah. it could be as simple as that. I can listen to a song and feel better. Then that's one thing. There's a lot to unpack about positive ways to cope with mental illness. Then seeing like a licensed music therapist or licensed art therapist might be beneficial because then they can like get to specific remedies or specific art practices that might help help deal with those issues. This was written and produced by Osa Obaseki. From art to music, there are many creative approaches to managing anxious emotions. There's also the art of moving your body. The ancient practice of yoga builds strength and flexibility, but it can also help with stress and anxiety. There's a self-reflective part to yoga that can be good in the sense that you learn through your yoga practices how to remove your ego and to not be attached to the outcomes that you have really no control over. That being in the present moment is probably the best thing that you can do in terms of letting go of past you know, experiences and letting go of expectations and plans and that sort of thing. Because the present moment, you know, wherever you are, there's your breathing, you know, and you're maybe able to let go of all of those things that cause stress and strain. Instructor Mary Klonowski says it's smart to work with a yoga instructor to learn the basics. Then she says you can do yoga every day when you're feeling stressed or right before bed to help you sleep. Try uh, laying on the ground and putting your legs up the wall. And doing that may pose maybe, you know, before you go to sleep. Um, you don't have to do it for very long, but enough so that um, you're getting a reversal of the blood flow. Doing back bends are recommended because of the way it opens up the front side of the body, which is the vulnerable side of who we are. This is where all of our organs are exposed. And then you're able to be connected more with, with those around you, with your environment, with what's going on around you. And once you're connected like that, you become more accepting of yourself. Klonowski says yoga is effective because of its unique physical, mental, and spiritual mix. She also recommends doing yoga with a group of people to add that extra sense of community and connection. You know, it's a really ancient practice. And the reason it's stuck around for as long as it has is because it works. That segment was produced by Jake Eisendrath. Kathy Crumpler, 
is a licensed clinical therapist. One of the reasons that children are drawn to social media is that they see, you know, adults spending an inordinate amount of time on social media. According to recent research, over 91% of adults own mobile phones. In contrast, only 78% of teenagers do, and young children learn behavior from those they see around them, particularly their parents. It can actually funnel the anxiety by having so much information at children's fingertips. From the pandemic, to war, to bullying and jealousy, social media is full of things that are making us more anxious. And children, especially those with unregulated access to social media, are far more sensitive to these issues. It gets their arousal states um, to where they're constantly in the fight-or-flight mode. The anxiety is eroding away, not at our not just with our mental health state, but with our physical state as well. According to a recent study by the National Library of Medicine, social media usage increases the levels of cortisol, a stress hormone in the body. Chronically elevated levels of cortisol have been tied to increased risk of depression, obesity, type 2 diabetes, and most commonly, anxiety. We really can't tell them not to be on social media all the time. If we're constantly scrolling Facebook, I think that getting them outside um, in nature, um, getting them outside in the sunshine, making them see life beyond the computer screen is imperative. Most of us are no stranger to scrolling timelines, tapping through stories, and sharing updates. Logging on has become part of our day-to-day lives. However, some have chosen to leave social media for good. Meet Maddie. I did a month where I wouldn't go out, stay home, save my money. So in order to not feel left out or feel some type of FOMO, I paused my social media for a month. No longer distracted by her timelines, she saw how social media made the people around her disengage. She decided that it's best to stay logged out. To not only consume other people's lives, but also constantly stressing about how I was going to make my life look cool. It was almost taking away from my experiences. It made me realize that I didn't want to give in to that pressure anymore. And it wasn't just the stress. When I tell people I'm not on social media, they're like, in my age group now, it's always good for you. Back then it was always, why not? These impossible comparisons drive our anxieties and insecurities, leading us to post more and keep competing to an unreachable standard. That segment was produced by Sky Crumpler and Sam Steibel. Coming up on Anxious America, Living in an Uncertain World, a TikTok artist speaks more on social media's influence on anxiety. Therapy using ketamine. And more on those elementary schoolers and their feel-good pep talk hotline. I'm Kevin Ashley. And I'm Peyton Zignego. Ish Dahir is a TikTok star, actor, and author who amassed more than three and a half million followers on TikTok. He just released his new book, Toxic Torturous Love, where he discusses toxicity in relationships. And he believes much of this is linked to the issue of anxiety. Yeah, while we do, you know, obviously make light of it and joke about it, there are these, uh, these things that we talk about stem from real relationships. They stem from real scenarios. Um, a lot of the times you see that uh, couples are 
are uh, uh, uneasy with each other. And, uh, you know, there's there's a sense of, uh, you know, not feeling fulfilled all the time from the relationship. A lot of that does stem from anxiety um, because people are looking at themselves and then they compare themselves to others and they feel like they're they're not at the same level as others. So they're always trying to get to that level rather than going at their pace. They're trying to go at somebody else's pace. And that creates a sense of uh, not feeling worthy and good enough. And that creates a sense of anxiety. So we joke about that. You know what I mean? Like we show that most couples aren't actually perfect. You know, they're they're They argue, they yell at each other. They bicker about dumb stuff. And you mentioned like comparing yourself to others. Do you think with the problem with social media today is nowadays you have people posting like the best of what they're doing, almost like a fake life. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest mistake anybody that is in a relationship or just anybody who's even not in a relationship can make is comparing themselves to others. Uh, people tend to show the best side of themselves on social media. Um, more so on Instagram, I would say than TikTok, where you see these pictures of people living these lavish lifestyles. And a lot of it just isn't real. You know what I mean? You you can have somebody who posts uh, pictures of them from a vacation six months ago, but they post it like every month to make it look like they're traveling all the time. You know what I mean? Like For sure. things like that. Um, it's just not real. You're an author. You, you, you wrote your book, Toxic Torturous Love. Can you talk about toxic people and how that relates to anxiety? Where if you're with a toxic friend group or, or maybe hanging out with, with different types of people in your lifestyle, how that can affect your anxiety. Toxic people do a great job of making you feel less just naturally. Um, a toxic person will compare you to others or compare you to themselves. They'll uh, show you how they're doing better than you or how somebody else is doing better than you. And that creates that sense of anxiety that I was talking about earlier, where you feel like you're not worthy enough. Um, you know, toxic people like to push people down. And we talk about that in the book, whether you're in a relationship or it's your family members or your friends, it's, it's very important to try to get away from that. Try to try to see that that's something that's happening and, and move yourself away and remove those people from uh, from your relationships. I know you you go on live TikTok every day and you're interacting with your followers daily, thousands mm -hmm. of people you, you have interactions with. Can you talk about if people ever reach out to you about struggling with anxiety? I do have quite a bit of people who they don't necessarily tell me how they struggle with anxiety, but they tell me that uh, the lives that I do on a nightly basis give them a sense of relief, which actually gives me a little bit of anxiety when I don't go live. You know what I mean? So I have so many different people that tell me all the time, you know, oh, I can't wait for your lives at the end of the night. I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to hang out with you and, you know, just have fun. And they, they tell me, oh man, like when you're not live, like I, I miss you, like I get bored and like, uh, you know, life isn't, uh, I'm not, I don't enjoy my night as much. So that actually causes me to have a sense of anxiety. When uh, somebody's uh, peace rests on you, it causes, you know, you get a bit of anxiety because you want to make sure that person's peace is still there. And you're not the reason that they're not at peace, if you know what I mean. So it, it brings you some nervousness, would you say? Like having to, to have a huge following of over 3 million people, you're almost responsible for the happiness of those people in a way, because they're following mm -hmm. you. They're looking up to you. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I have so many people literally watch every single one of my videos, you know, and that's insane to me, but it's, it's a real thing. So 
making sure that they're happy, you know, trying to keep your people pleased and happy all the time. It's very important to me. Um, but you also have things where it's like, I have a sense of uh, anxiety and making sure that I keep myself relevant. You know what I mean? Like I can't take too much of a break away from social media because I do, if I do, then, you know, people start going to watch other people's videos and they might stop thinking about you as much and you might become an afterthought, you know, and that's not the best thing for me. You know, uh, the best thing for me is to continue to put out content and to stay on top of my stuff and make sure people are seeing my stuff. And that's making them happy. Well, at the same time, I have to manage my mental, my mental uh, health, my mental peace. So that's the biggest thing for me is just finding the balance between my own mental peace and my people's mental peace. This section was produced by Zaid Hussein. On occasion, traditional or even art therapies don't fit with people. Some have turned to alternatives. For example, ketamine therapy. I was literally paying like $250 to complain to someone. Um, and that's kind of just my whole, that was my whole idea of therapy was just letting it out and then going home. I was like, this is a life sentence. Madeline Hain was diagnosed with anxiety and depression at 15. She tried different therapists and took medication over a period of 10 years without any results. In 2021, after hitting rock bottom, she tried ketamine-assisted psychotherapy at Field Trip Health in Chicago. Due to the pandemic, 32-year-old Kathleen Riojas decided to visit Field Trip after hearing about it online. We'd had a year of isolation, so that was making my anxiety go through the roof. But I had also lost my job at the beginning of COVID, so I'd had a very intense um I guess we usually call them nervous breakdowns. At first, Kathleen wasn't sure about ketamine treatment, but later decided to move forward with it. Eventually, I actually talked to somebody at Field Trip who um, reassured me on all of my worries and then also like basically told me all of the benefits that I had found online as well. Jordan Dabrowski works at Field Trip. She's a psychotherapist and a licensed clinical social worker. Ketamine treatment has been shown to be really effective for anxiety. And so we know with ketamine, it actually is able to help form new neural pathways and help the brain adapt. This was found in research study by the University of British Columbia. In 2015, another study by the Brain and Behavior Research Institute found that ketamine causes a rapid surge in two neurotransmitters glutamate and GABA. This surge quickly impacts how a person feels and alleviates some of the symptoms of depression and anxiety. Thanks to this and more studies, more people are using psychedelics as a treatment for mental health. Yet, ketamine doesn't work just by getting high. Judy Seal, clinic manager and nurse practitioner at Field Trip Health Clinic in Chicago, explains how the treatment works. The medication alone has a biomedical chemical um, effect and clients will receive um, improvement from that alone. But the literature really suggests that it's the um, integration, the therapy component that helps you to maintain those benefits. And so the integration work with our therapists really is where the magic happens. So you're able to go more inward, you're able to go deeper and really just have a more profound experience. Field Trip Health has eight clinics in the United States where patients go through customized programming. A program may include four to seven ketamine injections applied at a health center that feels like a Zen-inspired spa. 
a therapist and a nurse practitioner are there to guide the patient through their experience. And all patients complete medical and psychiatric screening to determine if ketamine therapy is adequate and safe. Um, I felt like the, the drugs like literally picked me up out of my brain and I could like, I have a bird's eye view of like everything, all of my emotions, um, my experiences, everything that I felt like I was drowning in. I felt like I was separated from everything that I felt controlled my life for so long. Before a patient can receive their first dose of ketamine, they have a preparation session with a licensed therapist to set goals and intentions for their treatment. After the ketamine sessions, the patient attends an integration session to reflect on their journey with the help of a therapist. They also create a toolkit so the patient can apply their insights outside therapy. The insights that people get, and so ketamine being kind of a psychedelic type experience, uh, people are able to get different insights about themselves, ways that maybe certain behaviors are or aren't working for them, what really is important to them. And then during the therapy work, we work with those insights on how do we take this into fruition? How do we make this a lasting change for your life? According to Field Trip, with this combination of psychotherapy, psychedelics, and medical supervision, 96% of patients experience a reduction in their anxiety immediately after treatment. This means a better mood, less pain and aches, and greater clarity of mind. I walked out and all of a sudden I didn't have that phobia anymore. It still wasn't super comfy, but I felt totally like without even fully intentionally going on to resolve the phobia, it came out of there. And so I think that really shows me exactly how ketamine can direct us to where we need to go, direct us to those parts that maybe we've been avoiding. That segment was produced by Peter Midwa, Zachary Keltner, and Francia Garcia-Hernandez. Anxiety affects people of all ages. However, one of the most outspoken age groups about anxiety is high school and college students. Devin Walls is a 22-year-old student living in Chicago, and he has been experiencing anxiety since he was in middle school. I remember joining this new friend group. Even we were, though we were close, it still felt like I didn't belong. I remember sitting in the cafeteria one day, and I was like, I just felt like invisible. And like, I just, I, everything like came like crashing down in my brain and I was freaking out about like the fact that I, nobody actually knew me and I, I could die tomorrow and I wouldn't have an actual close friend. And it, and it just was like eating me alive. And I remember, that's when I remember feeling different was I had suddenly like, like this searing pain in my chest. And like, it just like felt like somebody reached into my chest and literally was like, just had a fistful of my heart and was just slowly squeezing it. And the more and more I thought about it, the worse it got. And I was like, this is this is different. And it's been like that for a long time. For many people with anxiety, the feeling can manifest itself with a strong physical reaction that is completely out of the individual's control. It's always been like intense chest pain for me and it, I get really cold and um, I just, it like, it just hurts. My, like my, my, my heart hurts. That's the best way to describe it is like my heart hurts and I'm just so worried and I'm scared. Many young people with anxiety don't take steps to get help due to the fear of being misunderstood. I have a hard time being able to sit down in a room or a place and find myself in the moment. I'm always thinking about like what I should be doing, what I can be doing or what's next. Um, I have a hard time not worrying about what I have to do the next day or what I have to do in the next hour, and it's hard. But um, occasionally, it like 
becomes so bad that I lose it and I like fall apart. But I, I think I'm part of it is like, I'm scared of being emotional in that regard. So I try not to lose it. And, and I think that's kind of where the, the chest pain comes in trying to like keep a facade of calm. Cause I've been told many times, like I, I've, I would have never known you were having an anxiety attack and you were sitting there in the corner of the room falling apart. So I think emotionally it's, it's something I don't always get to, but I think it's because I, I'm scared of being emotional in, in public spaces. Growing up is already hard enough, and anxiety can worsen a young person's ability to participate in important events throughout their life. Often, anxiety stops people from doing the very things they were meant to be excited about. I felt like I kept telling myself that like one day I wouldn't have to explain it to somebody, and they would just understand. Or one day it would just I would grow up and it would just get better and things would be fine. And I think a lot of us think that, but I just sat with it for years and I still sit with it sometimes longer than I should. And before I even considered possibly getting medication, I only recently considered medication in the last year um, for stuff like that. I was just so scared of being emotional around people because I feel like I think people look at me like I'm I'm weak or helpless in that state. And I, I, and I don't like to feel like that because I built so much of my life around carrying on and doing things and doing the most than the best I can. And uh, so that's why I didn't do anything about it. And that's that's kind of really sad because that's not how it, I should have looked at it. And only recently have I been like, it's not going away. It's never going away. And and you can't just look at somebody and, they, and, and not have to explain it to them. And only now am I starting to try to figure out other ways to find myself around that. I would wake up in the morning and I would be so struck with like a deep, deep panic, like a deep anxiety, like my chest would be throbbing and I would be hyperventilating and I would just, I, I would go throw up and it, like a really severe physical reaction to like just being alive <laughs> um, and, and, and having this cope with reality. And I, and then I would make mistake after mistake and call after, call out of work and skip classes and obligations. And I don't even know if I was, what I was scared of in hindsight, but um, I was debilitated for a while there. I wasn't participating in life anymore. It's happened a few times to me, which sucks. Um, and it's affected a lot of parts of me, but I'm, I'm getting, doing better these days. That segment was produced by Rennie Kieschnick. According to many experts, anxiety peaked in America in December 2020 and continues to rise. Meet Mark Myers, a mental health expert and therapist with Myers Counseling Group in Crystal Lake, Illinois. People have been isolated. They've been fearful of an unknown entity. So, you know, with, with the pandemic, I think that has you know greatly influenced the mental health state of, of the world. Myers also believes there was another catalyst for anxiety. The politics have probably played a role in that as well. I think the nation is pretty much equally divided among their political opinions. And I think our political opinions have become stronger and probably a lot more aggressive over the time. And I think people have certainly been feeling the effects of, of both of those. Stress is a draining factor that burrows itself deep into our minds and festers. Myers instructs his patients on how to not let things that they can't control get in the way of their own happiness. I think the first thing is being mindful of how much time you're devoting, you know, towards gathering this information. You know, I've worked with some people who are spending a great deal of time doing research, watching TV, watching the news. And for the most part, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the news 
is going to kind of accentuate the fear. Sometimes the more we try to help with our collective anxiety, the more we accentuate it. There have recently been some pretty terrifying headlines in regard to the latest COVID surge. Trump winning the presidency, the QAnon phenomenon, the storming of the Capitol. You see them on the warpath against LGBT rights. We're now more than two months into the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The US inflation rate is at a 39 year high. What an emotional roller coaster. Right to abortion is likely in June going to be completely taken away. Has cancel culture gone too far. When I was watching this all unfold online. Many have helped in the creation of this documentary, and we thought it would be good insight to allow those who've worked on the project to have their say on how studying anxiety has impacted them and how the issue itself may have affected their lives. So we put together a small panel of our producers. Here is Scott Sroka, Francia Garcia Hernandez, and Zaid Hussein. I think the biggest thing that I realized is that there is a huge discrepancy in the amount of anxiety that is between the different generations. Like for instance, there's always been anxiety. It's been there since the beginning, right? It's omnipresent. But in my years, when I went to college the first time, there wasn't as much anxiety because there was, you know, there was no internet. The uh, The political landscape was just as crazy, but not, I guess, not to the point that it is now. So, And I agree with that. I would say... The biggest thing is, like you mentioned, social media, because when you look at social media back then, there was no Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. No, there was no social media, there was, there, there was no internet. Like, I mean, exactly. There, there was nothing. Nowadays, kids, I mean, it's unfortunate, but you, you're seeing suicides over anxiety. You're seeing people that younger kids from even first grade and kindergarten on to high school to college that through social media, the anxiety that they have on them is is nothing like we've seen before because of this social media, because of Twitter, because of Instagram. People are looking at what other people are doing. They're trying to live lavish lifestyles when they're portraying something that's not them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a huge factor into anxiety because back then you didn't see that online. And now you could just go online and you see what someone's doing in Europe and someone's doing in, in just different parts of the world and that could lead to anxiety for you. And I think also social media has brought that awareness of like, oh, I'm not the only one who feels that way because people can go on there and share their stories, share their experiences and know this is something that has a name and has a way to experience it. Like it's no longer me, my head, my thoughts and trying to hide it and trying to manage and survive. Now I know I can speak about it and there's other people going through it. So that doesn't make more people anxious, but at least it makes more people talk about it, be open about it, be upfront about it. But it's not it's not so much that people are talking about it. It's also the fact that people are seeing all these things. So back, okay, my generation, we had, you know, magazines were a problem, right? The way that they portrayed women and a lot of women going and becoming anorexic and whatnot because of the way that they were portrayed and they wanted to be as skinny as possible. Now, this phenomenon has bled into every aspect of our lives, especially through social media. Like, I mean, you think about the Tide Pod Challenge and stuff like that. I mean, it's no wonder kids wake up and they're anxious to go to school because that you've got that plus you've got to worry about you know somebody gonna bring a gun to school today who knows roe versus wade is about to be overturned i mean everything that my generation fought for is deteriorated to the point where now everything causes anxiety like it feels like the world is burning down all at the same time yeah. all the time so it's hard for people not to be anxious about it like how can you not be and people, when they post, I would say, things on Instagram or things on Twitter, 
it makes them anxious and it makes them have anxiety because if someone doesn't like something that you're doing or something someone doesn't like an opinion that you have on Twitter or a view that you make it's going to lead to anxiety and sometimes even depression with people if, if people are I don't know bullying you or, or going at you about your views or what you're doing it, it could lead to anxiety and depression and I think that's something that's huge in our generation right now because of how many different social media outlets there are that people have yeah did you have you ever seen the movie uh, social dilemma have you oh, seen yeah. that? Yeah, so good. It's you know, it makes you think about how even when you put a post up that's positive, you know, like, oh, I, I got a new bike. How many people are liking this? How many people are paying attention to me that I've got this new bike? How, how do you feel in this generation comparatively? I feel like it, it leads to a lot of hate because unfortunately in this world, I feel like a lot of people are not happy with other people's success. They try to like look down on you. So, hey, if you got a new job or if you graduated or something good happened in your life and you're posting it on social media, a lot of people are going to look at you and they're going to hate you because you're successful. And I think that's a huge problem we have nowadays is people don't like to see other people doing better than them. I think not only that, but people are starting to become all the same. Like so someone posts they got this new bike or this new outfit and suddenly everyone's wearing the same thing because everyone wants to post and say, you know, I got this too. So suddenly being authentic and being unique is kind of rare. You see everyone kind of following similar trends in similar bubbles, in similar pockets. And I don't know how much that's going to help people because part of what makes us be happy is being ourselves, being content with who we are. And I think social media is kind of driving us away from that. So that's probably going to contribute to more anxiety, depression, and all of these mental illnesses combined, which was something that also surprised me. Like, you think it's all in one, but like most of the people we interviewed who had a diagnosis had multiple conditions at the same time. Absolutely. 100%. And I think that's a good point because you mentioned anxiety and it's directly linked with things like depression. It's been amplified now because yeah, everybody has it in their pocket. Yes, and I would say it's definitely another level. And I think, I mean, would you agree that it's probably worse here in the U.S. or do you think it's just the same everywhere? I think Mexico being so close to the U.S. and being a social, like an important partner in many aspects, we get a lot of the culture and it, um, it's starting to change and I see that happening in Mexico definitely. So I think it's going across borders because at the end of the day, social media is everywhere and people in Mexico or elsewhere follow not only influencers or people locally, but at a global stage. Yeah. So yes, I see that happening. Maybe not in the same way and maybe there's not that pressure to compete, but there is definitely that pressure to show. Now, you compare that to Mexico, Mexico's very um, based on social status and class. It's something we inherited from our history. Mm -hmm. So, yes, people are going to use social media to kind of post and say, look, I'm making it. I'm getting this. I'm getting that. I'm happy. But it doesn't mean that's what's really happening on the inside. That doesn't mean that's what's really happening in their lives. So I think that's something that's similar. And it's probably similar all across Latin America. Yeah, I think I spent eight years in Brazil. And while I was there, I mean, I think that it's 
I, I think it's actually probably worse there, to be honest, because of the fact that they have this underdog attitude and they want to be the U.S., you know, and there's there's a lot of Latin countries that actually still really look up to the U.S. and they're like, oh, if these are what they're doing and they're this great, right, then I want to be that great. And they've got this, this, you know, Brazilians in general, at least from what I saw, were very, you know, very materialistic, like taking what we are here and and multiplying it. You know, they, they need the newest car. They need the newest watch. They need the newest blouse. It's, I, I don't know. I think it just makes everybody so anxious and nobody's real anymore. Everybody lives in this, you know, virtual world and it's, it's tough, but you hit on it perfectly that there's, there's no single thing that this is what causes anxiety. You know, mm -hmm. it's, there's what causes anxiety. Well, my mom yelling at me causes anxiety. The fact that my grades are slipping causes anxiety. The fact that I don't have a new car causes anxiety. The fact that there are things going on globally. The fact that I don't have a girlfriend. The fact that, you know, my boyfriend dumped me. Like, there's so many things that causes it and so many fractures of it. I don't know where, I don't know how to call, you know, how to, how to, to get over it and to get, to overcome it. Yeah, and there's definitely a lot of new lanes nowadays that I would say are going to open up things with anxiety. Um, one perfect example I'd say is like gambling. So we see gambling being legalized in different states. All these new kids, especially kids that I know of, are starting to gamble. And that leads to a lot of anxiety. People are losing money. People are betting money. People losing all their money, ruining their lives, ruining everything around them. It's going to lead to more and more bad things. And that's what I see coming within the next two, three years as it legalizes in more in different states. And I think with every big event we've seen, like COVID, a lot of the people we interviewed had a breakdown during COVID or they lost their job and that added to years of depression and anxiety and they could no longer handle it. So whenever something big is happening and there's a triggering factor for some people, they have a diagnosis, they've been trying to handle it, but then how do they go about it? I think that's something that I really got to see from every patient we got to interview, they had a triggering moment where they could no longer handle things. And looking at the future and all the things that are happening right now and that could potentially happen in the future, there's definitely going to be more and more of those moments, more and more crises. So how do we get, how do we get people to be able to handle them and not keep falling on this trap? And how do we talk about, you know, mental health in a more opening and like inclusive way so that it's no longer about how do I talk about this or how do I get help but like how do I manage this permanently throughout my life all the time I used to joke uh, in 2020 about how everybody had a terrible year that year, right? It was just the level of how terrible your year was. Did you lose somebody? Did you, you know, did you lose your job? Like how wait, the baseline was so low. It just depends on how much lower it went. And now after people, we forgot how to interact with other people. And I think that's raising anxiety levels too, because now we're trying, we're social creatures. Humans are social by nature. We need love and companion companionship and, and camaraderie and without that now everybody's looking at e each other from you know the, the the nose up you know nobody knows what people's faces even look like I've never even seen either one of your faces I've been in school with you guys for a year exactly and it, it's it, we've just forgot how to do this and that just makes all of it just so much bigger for sure so anxiety is non-discriminant 
they don't care. It doesn't care if you're black, white, gay, straight, old, young. It will affect you. It does affect you. And we need to start having a real conversation about it in not only the United States, but globally, because this is it's causing too much pain and strife. Yeah. And I think when we talk about race and different groups in the United States, everyone voice is very important. Like their experiences are going to be different and the resources that everyone has available are going to be different and the stigma around it. So we need to have more conversations and more people need to be able to speak about it because their perspective, their help they can get is going to change based on who they are, where they live, how they live their life. So there is no single approach to speaking about anxiety other than knowing that it's It's affecting everybody and everybody has to speak about it because it's important. Absolutely. Hi, welcome to Pep Talk, a public art project by Westside School. Earlier in the program, we introduced you to a group of school kids from California who are working to make everyone a little happier with their new hotline filled with feel-good mantras and advice. Please listen to the following options for encouraging messages. The hotline is called Pep Talk, and the number is 707-998-8410. When you call, you'll get a few options to choose from. Well, when you're feeling mad, you should take three deep breaths and think of things that make you happy. The project was created by two teachers and students at Westside Elementary in the northern Californian town of Healdsburg, a suburb of Santa Rosa. Since it launched, the hotline has been busy with some 11,000 calls a day. If you're nervous, go get your wallet and spend it on ice cream and shoes. The project got a donation of 1 million free cell phone minutes, but now needs funds to keep it going. To help continue the hotline, you can press 6 to get information about the GoFundMe effort. Be happy. Believe in yourself. It's okay to be different. We already like you! If you need to hear kids laughing with delight, press 4. If feelings of anxiety become overwhelming, there's a National Anxiety Crisis Hotline to call. Reachable at 1-800-273-8255. For more information about this documentary, go to wcrx.colum.edu. You've been listening to Anxious America, Living in Uncertain Times, from WCRX Columbia College, Chicago. I'm Peyton Zignego. And I'm Kevin Ashley. Thank you for listening.